Thanks for choosing this podcast from New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo from July of 2021. The sermon title, once we get there, will be A Heart More or Less from Proverbs 15, 8, 9, and 11. And we kind of read 10 in between there to kind of make sure we have the whole context. So it's Proverbs 15 for the message, A Heart More or Less. God bless you as you partake in worship, as you search out the heart of God, and reach new heights in Jesus. Had a big effect. We had a, uh, a woman yesterday who was extremely 
uh, affected by the gospel preached in the block party, and um, she got baptized at the end, and she she was basically saying that if it hadn't been for us, and hadn't for God working through us, whatever like that, she could have been stuck, and she had been stuck for years. And uh, so we, by the grace of God, we played a part in her uh, giving her life over to the Lord and earnest, and that's a really big deal. That's the soul possibly saved from hell. We don't know if she was saved before she came or not, whatever, but we know that's the soul possibly saved from hell. So I'm really grateful for that. And then uh, we have been signing up kids for Camp You Can, and we're technically past the deadline now, but if you know somebody, I'll bet I could get them in. He's 10 to 14 years old uh, in the Toledo area, boy that wants to go August 2nd through 6th. And if you're an adult who wants to go as a chaperone, they're still accepting chaperone uh, registration. So, and I'm play, as of right now, I'm planning on going and rearranging our schedule to make that work. Um, and we do have quite a few. We don't know the number, but that, they, they register with the state, not with us, so we don't know the number exactly. We definitely have double digit kids going, so that's pretty cool. Um, and some of them are obviously not from our, many of them are not from our church, from our church fellowship. It's going to be an opportunity for them to get to know uh, us and hopefully, more importantly, God. Say again? Yeah, last time we had 48 kids in a total, we are, of which we took 13. We took 13 now. And so I think it's going to be more this year, but uh, let's hope. And I can't say about the rest of the state, but I hope the Toledo number is higher than 13. So I look forward to it. It's going to be a pretty cool camp. We're going to have some professional football, NFL football players there meeting and talking to the kids so that they're currently playing in the NFL. So that's pretty It's all sports team and that kind of thing. So um, that's going to be pretty cool. Anyway. Um, next week membership meeting, uh, outreach adventure still under full swing, still opportunities to serve, and, and if you, if there's not something on the calendar for you to serve, make one up and invite somebody to go along with you. And I'm sorry, uh, I got a little sunburn yesterday, sorry for all of us, we might have got a little sunburn yesterday, a lot of us don't have time to do, um, and, but we know that it was for the Lord, and so that's pretty Alright, so we're going to pray together, and then we'll jump back to which I know that we may, you have things that are on your heart too. As I pray, you pray along with me, and mention the things that are on your heart. Okay. Father in heaven, we praise you, and we thank you for bringing us here together to worship you, to give every, every resource that you've placed at our disposal, every protection, every provision. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the purpose that we have, that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, which means it's our job, our service, to bring people together with you. And we ask the Lord to help us do that throughout which event, really every day. Um, a lot of things interfere, our work that we do, and, and some service that we do isn't about that, it's not about sharing, but that sometimes it opens the doors and it makes it possible, and, and um, so we're so grateful, God, that you've given us all of these things. Or I think of that song we just sung. It, it could have been an object lesson for the sermon. And I'm so grateful, God, that you've always done that. You've always taken care of us. You've always set the order of worship. You've always made it, uh, made it work out that it's uh, to your glory and for your praise. Father, we pray for uh, Brother Tony, our deacon. Uh, Lord, he's far away in New York and not able to be with us. And, you know, his heart is with us. And he's been keeping his ear in this direction and praying for us and um, when you're far, far away, sometimes that's all you can do. Words of encouragement and prayer and so on. Uh, Lord, I pray that we will be uh, encouraged by that. That we will be continually lifting, lifting him up in prayer. I know he experienced some setbacks early in the week, and so that might have made it so he had to stay there longer. But we know you can take care of it. And thank you for keeping him safe. Because um, when you're a drill operator, methane gas is no joke. And we just pray, Lord, that with his experience and the way you've blessed him over the years, 
Maybe you will keep you safe and you'll take them through it. Uh, Lord, for all the work that we're doing, the service, from um, mowing to pantry to driving to delivery to packing bags to cleaning the building to setting up block parties, tearing them down, transporting things here and there, uh, Lord, for all that we're doing, we don't want any of that to interfere with our time with you. And so we're asking you now, Lord, to help us set aside the temptations and the distractions, uh, help us to find joy in the tribulations of the trials that we've been through, as your word says, and now express that joy in our relationship with you as we worship together as a body. We pray all that in Jesus' precious name.
hallway out there. So I was just made a little sound over there. But now that I heard you, you stopped singing, it was still singing in the hallway. Like, Alright, so I hope you've been inspired this week because I, uh, I didn't bring a list of things to talk about, so I'm counting on you. Come on. How's the Lord been touching us this week? Verse 28. So, I always say, you know, get connected. God's big. He's got a big family. I got a family that's uh, just as good as his family. Uh, Wednesdays, I go there for a prayer service once a month. And uh, they call it the Nugget. And uh, they have a Nugget, but they share this cool devotion. It's from uh, Dr. Uh, Paul Tripp. If anybody wants uh, uh, this uh, text where I can send it to you, it's so really, 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 really good. And the kids, if you want me to break it down for a kid level, come see me. I got some cool pictures too I can show you. Always come over. I got some awesome encouragement. This is what it says. He's called us. Let me not forget. It says, Dear Lord, let me not forget the lavish blessings that have defined my life. Let me not forget the new mercies that greet me every day. Let me not forget that whatever I'm facing, I never face it alone. Let me not forget your incredible patience and your long-suffering love. Let me not forget your strength that meets me in every moment of weakness. Let me not forget your constant provision and vigilant protection. Let me not forget the forgiving grace that covers all my sins. Let me not forget my inclusion in your kingdom of righteousness and love. Let me not forget the wisdom and guidance of your righteous commandments. Let me not forget the comforting and convicting ministry of your spirit. Let me not forget the glory of your creation and how it reminds me of you. Let me not forget that my story has been included in your great story of redemption. Let me not forget that you have provided everything I need for life and godliness. Let me not forget that no trouble can come my way that is outside of your rule. Let me not forget that your generous grace should silence my boasting. Let me not forget to forsake my glory for the greater glory of you. It's almost there. Let me not forget that you welcome my confession. Thank you for stimulating company and never to the Yes. Let me not forget that you welcome my confession. It's got to be repeated. And never respond with disgust. Let me not forget to live every day in light of the glories to come. Let me not forget the majestic gift of the wisdom of your holy word. Let me not forget the illumining and empowering presence of your spirit. Let me not forget that your conviction is a sign of your mercy. And there's three more. Let me not forget the gift of your church with its fellowship and instruction. Let me not forget my, my eternal identity as a child of God. And let me not forget that my sin and suffering will someday be no more. And so, dear Lord, let me not forget the lavish blessings that define my life. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forgot, forget not all his benefits. Psalm 103, 2. God bless Paul David Tripp. Of course, Paul David Tripp is a lot older than he was before. And so he's been through a lot. And so I encourage everybody, get out there, get to know people. 
you just, it, it, it never is say, you gotta tell you, stay so close here, see if I'm, I'm telling you, go out those doors, you're gonna be blessed by others, you know, like, I was so blessed if I didn't go out there, I mean, this is still just, I'm meditating on this daily, it's so awesome, so I'm just glad I could share it with you, if you want a copy, I can send it to you, like I said, kids, if you didn't understand it, come see me, and let, 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 let's enjoy the Lord together. Amen. Who else? So, yesterday, at the rock wedding, I know that because I don't feel like rock wedding, it was a big experience to, to the church, so it's been something we still haven't been doing rock And the thing I like about it is that every single year, or every year, or every rock wedding, there's something new being added on. Like, let's go back to when the first rock party of this month, there was a dumb table. And there were so many people there that liked the dumb table, saw the dumb table, even got to try the dumb table out. And it was been stuff added on to our rock party. Every single year we had one. We always found a way to add some. Like the new special video. And I think even like, like yesterday we had the baptisms. We had that giant silver tongue. That would be battle. And I wouldn't like the black party to come back. Just so, only so many I, I just found out this week that Brother Jeff Sheldon from uh, Eastland Baptist Church in Brian Ohio, him and his family are coming for a black party at the end of the month, and his wife and daughters are going to be doing face painting. And they do face painting the way that they share the gospel with the kids at the same time. So that'll be cool too. Yeah. Another way, each time, different way. Always thinking creatively, hopefully, for love on people. Good words. Okay, Tom, you're up. You got a video? Yeah, I have a song called Band Called Nothing More. Uh, they're not really a Christian band, but they do have a song for message. At this point, there were a couple of additional songs that we don't have the copyright to uh, off YouTube that people felt spoke to them, and also uh, additional one or two inspirational moments. So we cut those out because uh, they didn't come through clear enough for the podcast. If you're really interested in those things, you can either join us for service so you don't miss out on any piece of the podcast. We've always, we almost always have to cut out some small part because it doesn't come through clear or something like that. And also, you can watch us live on Facebook uh, at New Heights Toledo. Facebook at New Heights Toledo. God bless you. And back to now the message.
You think that song's long, which is really interesting. Have you always? <laughs>
that's all set and ready to go. We'll need that later. Uh, what is he up to? It's a little bizarre. All right. <clears throat> so, uh, recently I discovered a lyric in a song that I really like. The song is called Unstoppable by Toby Mac. You may know that song. There's a, song, a lyric in there that says, it's better to burn out than stick to the shade. Anybody familiar with that lyric at all? Yeah, I got a couple of nods. It's Toby Mac's song. It's better to burn out than stick to the shade. Okay? The whole idea of the song Unstoppable is that we're, we're going all out for Jesus, we're living for Jesus, we're doing the things Jesus would want us to do and all that kind of thing. And one of the lyrics that he sings is, it's better to burn out than to stick to the shade. Now, if you're kind of like a hard rock fan or a, a music fan in that genre at all, you might kind of recognize that a little bit. It's similar to another uh, lyric. And actually, uh, one of the lead <clears throat> vocalists of the band Nirvana uh, left a note in 1994 when he committed suicide. And he wrote in that note to his fans and followers and band members, it's better to burn out than to fade away. And that note, which comes from a lyric of another rock song, hit his followers and the people that loved him very hard. Um, because essentially he was saying, I've burned out and I've taken my own life because i got nothing left or whatever. So I was comparing the two lyrics. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, it's better to burn out than stick to the shade. Yeah, go out there, live for the Lord, uh, do the things that God would have you to do. Uh, and it might be hard. You might spend yourself. You might wind up feeling beat up a little bit, persecuted, suffering, that kind of thing. But still better to do that than to um, just kind of like hide and not live in the light and not be a God's servant, representative, that kind of thing. I thought, yes, definitely agree with that lyric. Still sticking with that. Better to burn out than to fade away. And well, you know, just taking the lyric, just the words, and I'm going, better to burn out. So it still could be living for the Lord, still the same thing, than to fade away. Then kind of like just cease to exist or no longer have a place. Hmm. Well, on the surface, it seems like it's still okay. But you can hear an undertone of desperation. And I thought, you know, it touches my heart. My heart resonates kind of with both lyrics. <clears throat> and I thought about how in secular music, there's a lot of lyrics that are like that, right? Because they're not Christian, but man, one way or another, I mean, there's a line in Hotel California that has always stuck with me, that the, the Spirit said, you know, pay attention to that, you know. And um, it's that line where he says, you can check in, but you can never leave, right? And, it's, and, I saw, and that's, Paul says, I, I will not be mastered by anything, right? And I, this, this idea of, so there's a lot of lines in different songs that still resonate. And the reason that is, is because all human beings have a heart, right? And our hearts are, they're, they're lions. They're, they're mighty. They're powerful. They're life-changing. If you unleash your heart, that's when people discover a passion or whatever, you literally can drive yourself to the brink doing that which you believe is right. You will push yourself to the absolute last limit. And a lot of people who then wind up empty if they don't know the Lord have taken their lives because they've been doing their own lives because they've been doing what it was that they wanted to do and they've been doing it with such passion because their heart was driving them that they literally wound up with nothing left. 
In Christianity, obviously, it's not supposed to be that way, right? So you follow your heart, which is supposed to be in tune with the Lord, and I'll get to that in a second. And as you spend your energies, God fills you up from the inside, and you're able to keep going and doing what it is that you're called to do. So today, we're going to talk kind of about, generically speaking, two different kinds of hearts. And so it's the heart of a a person who is in relationship with the Lord and a heart of a person who is not. And so the title of the sermon is a heart more or less. But the reality is everybody has a heart. Okay, not, and I don't mean the heart that beats in your chest. Everybody has a core, a center that drives you and that could really lead you to do some pretty amazing things if you unleash your heart. Okay, grab your Bibles if you would. Give me a hoot, a holler, amen, something as we go to Proverbs chapter 15. Amen. This is God's word and we're going to let it uh, speak to us, I hope. And whether I get it right or wrong, I, I believe that if you trust in the Lord in these moments, as we hear from His Word, uh, that we will be changed uh, into the likeness, uh, step by step, into the likeness of His Son. Proverbs 15, I'm actually going to read 8, 9, and 11. I guess I'll read 10 too. It doesn't contradict or anything. It just doesn't fit quite with exactly looking at the heart per se. It's more like the, the kind of the failings or the negative that comes out of, of not um, face, looking at the heart. Okay, so Proverbs 15, 8 says... The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Now, I want you to remember, don't forget, Solomon was a very wise man, and he observed the universe in the way that it works. So when he is saying, when he is saying a sacrifice of the wicked, Solomon does not, he's not able to look at the heart of a man and know if he's wicked. Okay, But that's exactly what he's attributing in character to that person. He's saying that heart is wicked. That heart is, is desperate and, and troubled. Okay, So the sacrifice of the wicked, a person whose heart is in that condition, a person who is continually in sin, because wicked means like you're sinning and you want to be sinning, right? You're not doing what God wants you to do and you're continuing in that. So he says the sacrifice, that's the gift to God of the wicked, is an abomination. That means it's detestable. God hates it. It's disgusting to God. To the Lord. That's the creator God of the universe. And then he says, but the prayer of the upright, again, Solomon would not have the ability to look at the heart to see if someone is righteous or upright, but he says the prayer of the upright is his, that's God's delight. God loves it. It's sweet smelling, a good taste, a good feeling. God likes it when we lift up our prayers if we are upright. So even though he is not able to observe the condition of the person's heart, he can say that the condition of the person's heart leads God to react this way to what that person does. The sacrifice would be detestable to God if the heart is wicked, if the person is wicked, like rotten at the core, if you will. And the prayer would be delightful to God, would be loved by God, if the person is upright, if their heart is in the right place. So he can observe that that's true, even though he cannot observe the heart of the person. Then verse 9 says, The way of the wicked is an abomination. In other words, the way being the choices that they make. Again, see that the wicked means their heart is kind of rotten. It is an abomination. That means God is, finds it detestable. He hates it. It's disgusting to him. Okay? And then he says, but he loves, that's God, him, that's the person, who pursues righteousness. Now, pursuing righteousness is seems to be an observable action. Right? The heart may pursue and yearn for righteousness. I submit to you that all hearts yearn for righteousness, right? Your heart wants to be right. And when it drives, it wants to know that it's driving in the right direction. It has a need for that. But this is observable. The pursuit of righteousness is observable. If a person is taking certain steps, 
Let's say if they're uh, repenting, if they're open about their failures and trying to change, if they're taking classes to be better at what it is they're trying to do. And you can see a pursuit of rightness. Okay? And that's observable by anybody. So we've just moved right there from the unobservable. You cannot judge when a person is wicked. You can see their actions and thereby maybe think they might be, but you can't really judge when they're wicked. And you can't really judge when they're upright. And you can't really judge the, the character of what they're doing at all. But you can see them pursuing righteousness. We just made a transition. 10 says, stern discipline is for him who forsakes the way. In other words, God corrects harshly, and we talked about that a little bit in the inspirational moment, didn't we? Corrects harshly the one who has left the way of God behind, who says, okay, no, I'm going to go my way, not the way that God wants me to go, even though they kind of know it. They say, oh, I'm done with that. I'm going over here. And then he says, he who hates reproof will die. In other words, if you refuse to be corrected by God, you get angry at God because he's correcting you and won't be put back on the right path, then you will die. You'll be separated from God. Verse 11, Sheol and Abaddon, or Abaddon, lie open before the Lord. And so in other words, God can see into the netherworld. God can see in the spiritual realm and he can see into hell. Right? He can see it clear as day, like you or I would be... Uh, in person, not like on TV, but in person. He can see it clear as day. And uh, it says these places, they lie open before the Lord. God can see there. And if God can see there, how much more the hearts of men? If God can see into hell, he can see everywhere, everywhere, then how much more the hearts of men? Okay? All right, so now we're going to do a little bit of an object lesson real quick, and I need a volunteer. Everybody jump up. All right, I come on up here. Okay. So, are anybody familiar with the shell game? The shell game where you get a three shell, the three puffs, or whatever, and you put the item, whatever it is that the person's searching for, which in this case happens to be these little candies, the next turn is over, that's where I did the end, I found the candy, and I'm supposed to show the They just twist it up. Okay, so in the shell game, you put the item under the cup, and then you watch the cups, and you see where the item is, okay? So, no matter how, how I move, I want you to watch the cup that has the item in it, okay? So, no, no matter what, however, you don't look like you're fooled at all. You look very, very solid, like you know right where it's at. I wonder why, what? Okay, well, I'm going to move real fast. Okay, don't watch for a minute. Look away. Okay? All right. Okay, now I want you to pick the item that has the cup in it. Can you do it? Or that has the candy in it. Can you do it? Okay, show me which one it is. Point to it. Okay. You're right. Amazing. You can have that. All right, thank you. You can have a seat, please. Okay, very good. All right, so that was really easy, wasn't it? The shell game, the whole thing about the shell game that makes it so hard is it's opaque. You can't see through, right? Not for God. That's not the way it works. God can look directly into our hearts. He knows. So when you go, well, I'm going to go do something good for God, but your heart is not right with God, your heart is not in it doing what it is that you're doing for God or because of God's word. God can see that. This is no joke. So when you go to sacrifice, you give, you might pile on, you might do something really heroic, you might suffer, you might pray and somebody might get miraculously healed. You might prophesy and talk the word of God and people might go, wow, that person's really speaking and, I, and the spirit is moving through them and they might all, everybody present might believe that you're doing something incredible for God. But God knows. 
God knows if your service is really for Him. God knows if your heart is really right. That's what Proverbs was explaining to us, even though Solomon could not observe whether or not a person was wicked on the inside, whether or not a person was upright on the inside, and so on. He can't observe the character of their heart. He could still make this assertion that if the character of a person's heart is not right before God, that God finds their sacrifice abominable, detestable, disgusting. And like, I'm going, I'm serving, the, I'm singing the songs and whatever. I'm putting my hands up and everybody thinks it's going to be great, and whatever. But if your heart is not with the Lord, if your heart is not right, God finds that disgusting. Now, there's a whole bunch of reasons why that might be true. But notice that because God, Solomon could observe the character of God and who he is, even though he cannot observe our hearts or anyone's hearts, he could still say that God, because of who he is, would find that sacrifice of an unrighteous man or of a wicked man abominable. Okay? In 1 Samuel 16, if you're following along in your Bibles, please flip there. 1 Samuel 16. And somebody's going, oh, I know this story. 1 Samuel 16, classic story. It's the early days of uh, David, basically, king, who would become King David. It's before the David and Goliath story. So Samuel comes to the house of David's father. What was David's father's name? Jesse. Jesse, very good. Okay, he comes to the house of David's father. Jesse, right? And he brings in the brothers of David. So David was the youngest boy, right? So somebody might relate to that. You were a younger son or whatever. David was a young boy, and he was most time in the shields, in the shields, in the fields tending the sheep. There we go. He was most time in the fields tending the sheep. And in verse 6, Samuel has come to pick the new king of Israel. And so he says, um, bring before me your sons, right? And then in verse 6 it says, Then it came about when they had entered that he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the anointing, the Lord's anointed is before him. This has got to be the one. He's the older brother, Eliab. He's quite the guy. Look at him. He's bold. He's strong. He's courageous. Look at him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab, made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Next Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are these all your children? Now, now you've got to know he knows the answer already of that question, right? But he says, are these all your children? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, and behold, he is tending the sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. Samuel was looking for a man whom God would fa- find favor on. He was just listening to God. He was just listening to God about who was the right guy. And how was God judging the sons of Jesse? He was judging them by their hearts, not by their actions. Were they good workers? Maybe. We know we got, got a little bit of an insight into the, the life of some of the older brothers because they, they accuse David of wickedness when he comes there and starts talking about will someone not fight Goliath? Because they're going to be rewarded like that. And they accuse him of wickedness. So we realize there's contention between David. And I'll tell you right now, you could assume that if there's contention between a man of an upright heart and somebody else, 
No matter what the purposes of that person appear to be, if a person of an upright heart has contention with a person with another person, you can pretty much assume that that person's intentions are wicked. If somebody is trying to live for the Lord and do what God would have them to do, and somebody else is attacking them, whether or not they say it's for a right reason, whether or not they say that person is bad, whether or not they say that person has said something they don't like, whatever, you can assume that this person appears in all appearances that they truly are living for the Lord and it's godly as far as you can assess and this person is attacking, this other person is attacking them, it is entirely probable that this first person is upright and the second person is wicked. You can't know for sure because you can't judge their hearts. But you better be safe and not join in on the wrong side of the debate, which is going on every day. People are bringing out the faults of someone. And as they bring out the faults, you don't even know if they're telling the truth. If you're looking from afar, you don't know if someone who is alleging someone else's faults is telling the truth or not. God is a judger of the heart. God doesn't look at what's on the outside, but He looks at what's on the inside. God chooses based on what's the inside then. So, if we're going to decide what's an upright heart and a wicked heart, at least for ourselves, because you can't really judge it for somebody else, then the question is, what is God looking for? Were these like bad guys? I mean, did they like make false sacrifices? Did they steal the tithes and offerings? And we don't know any of that. So when God looks at the brothers of David and he says, nope, 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 seven times, hardworking, potentially honest, raised by a godly man, brothers of David, and he says no about every single one of them. What is God looking for? Well, the answer is essentially God is looking for faith. But he's not just looking for faith in a sense that I think I believe, right? That would be mental faith. Right? And a lot of times we run into that on the street or we're talking to people or witnessing or whatever and we say, yeah, I believe. People say, yeah, I believe. My mind ascends to this truth. I accept this as true. But he's looking to faith at the crucible, at the point at which it's put, in, put into practice. Remember, your heart is like a lion. It's a warrior. It wants to leap right out of your chest and touch everybody around you. And when a, a, a small child is hurting or whatever, we were at the setting up for the block party and there was a child carrying a chair out. And the child carrying the chair out tripped over the curb and fell and there was no serious injury. But there were like four people that flocked around that child to make sure that child was okay. And there was somebody extending a hand and then there was another person trying to help her up. And, and people, your heart, when you see people hurting, your heart just wants to jump right out of your chest and do something about it. If your heart is right by God anyway, if you have an upright heart, if your your heart has become chastened or is mildly wicked or is distant from God, then you're like, oh, that's not my problem. Right? Do you drive by accidents on the side of the expressway and feel like praying for the people? Do you pray that maybe through that terrible tragedy that they're going through, that God will somehow come closer to them? Or do you say, well, thank God that's not my family and just keep right on driving because the heart the beat, that beats in your chest is more about fixing the problems of your life than it is about caring about what people are really going through? Our hearts are like lions, they're roaring. They're soldiers, they're, they're, they're powerful. The thunder roars. Every time you think about doing what it is that your heart is really made to do, there is the crucible. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for the faith of God that unleashes your heart to do what it is that you really are created to do. Which is, of course, to glorify God. Which is, of course, to stand up for what's right. Which is, of course, to be just and honest. Paul wrote uh, in 1 Timothy 6, which I'm flipping there. If you want to go with me, you can. 1 Timothy chapter 6 toward the back of the New Testament in the T section. And I didn't mark this, so we'll get there. There it is, 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And he says it this way. Now he's talking about, I'll back up a few verses. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to focusing on 11 and right following, but I'm going to back up a few verses so we understand the conversation. 
all the way back to 7. For we have brought nothing into this world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. And if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. So I mean, this is speaking against kind of like greed, covetousness, desires, right? Which, by the way, that is definitely the area where the heart can have a problem. And that'll get your heart going in the wrong direction, for sure. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from faith and pierced themselves with many a pang, or many trials, many troubles, many pains, right? 11. But flee from these things, you man of God. In other words, run away from that. Don't be involved with any of that. And we'll see kind of maybe what that is. And he says, and pursue righteousness. Remember, this is notable. This is observable. You can do this. You cannot save yourself. Right? If you have been already saved, this is a practice. As man of God, pursue righteousness. Right? I want you to think about what's right and go after that. And you say, oh man, today I'm going to bed and I feel like at 2 o'clock today I had the opportunity to do what was right and I didn't do it. So tomorrow, when that situation arises, what do I need to do today to be ready so that same situation arises tomorrow, I'm ready to fix it. I'm ready to do what's right. Right? I, I blew right by that person. I didn't make any difference in their life today. I didn't tell that person about Jesus. I didn't give of my time, my talents, my money, whatever today. I had an opportunity to do that. I didn't do that. Well, how do, what do I have to do now that I didn't do that then? That I have to change, correct my course, train myself, whatever. That's pursuing righteousness. And he says, man of God, flee from these things, these other things that become priorities. And instead, you pursue righteousness. Remember, this is observable. You can observe it about yourself. You can observe it about others. You can see people pursuing righteousness. It doesn't mean that they have the right core. It doesn't even mean that they're saved. Right? They, they could be doing miracles and it wouldn't mean that they're saved. But you can see them pursuing righteousness. Right? And you can pursue righteousness. You can judge the pursuit. Don't judge yourself. Don't judge others. But you can judge the pursuit of righteousness. Is it taking place or not? Okay? If you're not taking steps, moving forward, improving, overcoming obstacles, etc., then you are not pursuing righteousness. And that is part of what God is looking for. Let your heart do what it desperately desires to do and pursue righteousness. He says, pursue righteousness. And he says, godliness, faith, love, perseverance. And the word and is added there because this is a list, but there's not actually an and. And it's gentleness. Right? And I submit to you that the righteousness that we pursue includes faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. They are not fruits of the Spirit alone. Some of them are fruits of the Spirit. right? And they're produced by God in us and His Holy Spirit will produce them. But they are things that you can desire. If you are not growing in these things, then you need to get your butt in gear. Stop it, you lazy jerk. You're a member of the kingdom of God. You've got a point to be working towards, which is what's right. And if it's good enough that you did right mostly today and mostly yesterday and mostly the day before, then you have forsaken God's correction and you're not actually getting any better. And that is a pathway to death, not a pathway to life. That's what we read. What is he looking for? He's looking for faith in God in your heart that allows you to unleash your heart in the fight. In fact, look at verse 12. We're right there. Verse 12, he says, Fight the good fight of faith. This is aggressive. This is mighty, right? This is not pacifistic language. Donald Trump, as our former president, 
I'm not speaking on behalf of presidents. I'm not speaking politics. But one of the things he was consistently charged with was that he used rhetoric. Now, amazingly, my experience is that all politicians use rhetoric, right? And they'll say things like, we're going to fight for our country, right? We're going to stand up for what's right. We're going to take back our nation. Now, someone will say that's insurrectionist language. I submit to you that in the kingdom of God, that is insurrectionist language. There has never been an inch of ground. There has never been a seedling or a coin that God didn't want to use that the enemy did not also try to claim. Cast off the yoke of slavery. Unleash your heart and fight the good fight. Apply yourself. You say, well, I feel lazy. I feel weak. Then fix your body. You say, my mind is bogged down, foggy because of all the things that are in it. Then get some of that out. Put your focus on the things that are important. Do what must be done to unleash your heart. And here's what I know. If you don't do that, according to what Solomon said, and I'm not judging you as not doing that, you have to decide what it's going to take to pursue righteousness. But if you don't do that, then your sacrifices, the things that you lay at the feet of God, the service that you perform, the giving up of your time, the giving up of your money, it's abomination to the Lord. It's detestable. It disgusts Him that you would try to entreat God to favor you when you know that you have no desire to pursue righteousness that disgusts the Lord. God is not one to be bribed. He is not one to be persuaded to go against His own nature. Rather, He says, man of God, woman of God, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Don't leave off gentleness, by the way, because we're going to fight. We better fight gently when it comes to those who don't know the Lord especially. Right? Still be gentle. I know you're going to be aggressive. You're going to unleash your heart. It's going to be convicting. At times it may feel merciless, but you have to be gentle. You have to be gracious. Right? It's grace seasoned with salt. In 12 he said, fight the good fight of faith. He says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In other words, you told a lot of people that you're serving Jesus. And now he says, now take hold of the fight. Right? Take hold of the eternal life that you have been called to, that you profess to have. Here's what I think is happening in the kingdom of God more often than not. I think people go, well, I'm saved. Now, I'm holding on to family. I'm holding on to money. I'm holding on to the blessings that God gave me. And when, when God provokes my heart, when God pricks me, I'll give it. I'll use it. I'll always decide in favor of doing what God would want me to do. As long as God tells me to do it. Except what? God already told you to do it. God already told you to put it on the line. He gave you a whole book that speaks about Jesus Christ beginning to end and His salvation, the salvation that God would provide. What was, G- what was God looking for in the heart of David? He was looking for faith that un- would unleash David's heart to become a man after God's own heart. Which means He was looking for a man who would trust in the way that God would make. Which means, essentially, He was looking for David to be a Christian. Not just a person who has professed the name of Jesus Christ and has everyone else believing that they're saved, but on fire, unleashed, unstoppable, better to burn out than stick to the shade, Christian. That's what he was looking for. And I submit to you that that's what David became. And because he became that, because he was that, because he was acceptable to God as that, David was able to defeat armies. Saul killed his dozens. David killed his thousands. And did David really kill them? Or did God do it through him? David would certainly have said, 
God did it through him. What was he looking for? He was looking for a faith in the heart of a man that will unleash his heart into the battle to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance means you don't quit. And gentleness means you do all of that with, with kindness, with love, with a little bit of sweetness. Even when you have to say, hey, that's wrong. You say, hey, that's wrong. You can do better. God loves you. I love you. We can do this. Come on. Fix it. Change it. Move on. That's how God treats us. Yes, does God say stop? Yes, God says stop. But it doesn't say stop like, like you do to a small child. They go, oh, they want to just fall down and fall. Right? He, he says stop. And then he says, okay, now listen. This is what we're going to do. This is the way we're going to go. I'm encouraging. I'm lifting you up. I'm holding your hand. I've got this. I'm willing to make this happen. And if your heart is a heart like that unleashed for God, then your heart will be found acceptable to God. And then your sacrifices will be acceptable to God. And your praises will be acceptable to God. I can't make them acceptable. The truth is, you can't even make them acceptable, really, because your righteousnesses are filthy rags outside of Christ. But what you can do is pursue righteousness. And if you pursue righteousness outside of Christ, at some point in time, you will realize that you have sin and you need a Savior and you've been distant from God. And you will turn to the Lord and you will repent of everything else and you will put your hand in the hand of the man. You will say, okay, Jesus, I am letting you save me. But the fact is, you wouldn't be sitting here right now if there wasn't some part of your heart that yearned for the righteousness that God can provide, that yearns for what God has in store for you. And I know at times it can be confusing and at times there are questions and people even put out arguments that are, that lead, that make perfect sense and lead one in the wrong direction to an ungodly state of existence. It makes perfect sense that because you're a follower of Jesus Christ and God owns the cattle of a thousand hills, you should get wealthy. That makes perfect sense and somebody will preach that, but it's a lie. That is not the gospel. The gospel is you must have a heart that is on fire unleashed for God. That lion must not be on a rope. That lion must be on the prowl to do what it is that God wants you to do. That's the problem. We're not cowards. What are we afraid of? The God of the universe sets us on fire to do what we're supposed to do. We do what we're supposed to do. And if we die doing it, then so be it. At least we die doing it. Better to burn out than stick to the shade. But we need a little bit of practical too. Because the truth is, what I'm really saying is, you need a heart of rightness. And the fact is, you get that through Jesus Christ, and then you continue it out of willful choices of your own making. But I know there are people in the world who say that if I have any part in my ongoing salvation, if I have any part in my following of the Lord, that that's not really salvation. That's what they'll say. But that's not what the Bible says. You can't save you. It's true. You can't work to be saved. It's true. But once you are saved, you have a regenerated heart. Your heart yearns for the righteousness that you can become. Don't make that mistake in that uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 where it says that 
It says, we become the righteousness of God through Christ. Not we can have. People always quote it as we can have, but that's not what it says. It says that we would become. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we become the righteousness of God through him. Become. Your heart will consume your whole being. It is the heart of a creator. It is the heart of it of a person made to be the representative of God. You are no less than the very speaking of God into any situation. You have access to the throne room if your heart is right. This is what we want. We want our heart to be right with God and unleashed to do what it is that God wants to do. I'm sick and tired of being told, you can't, you won't, you shouldn't, you shoulda, you woulda, you coulda, because it's too late because you believe the first three and now you missed the opportunity to do the second three. You can be an unleashed servant of God and change the environment wherever you go because your heart is a lion. Your heart is a soldier. The thunder roars as your heart is unleashed to do what it is that God would have you to do. You say, but I have barriers. Things left over from when I was lost. Fix them. Start taking steps. The standard is not Am I in perfect condition to do what it is that God would have me to do? That's not the standard. The standard is, are you pursuing the righteousness? That's the standard. And so if you are pursuing, if you are unleashing your heart to do what it is that God would have you to do, if you're taking steps, you say, I think I might be called to preach. I think I might be called to go into the prison. You darn well better be taking steps. I might be called to go to the street, right? You think you start thinking about what it is that you're called to do and then you should be taking steps to do what it is that God wants to unleash your heart to do. And I'll tell you right now, you don't... Hear me now, I'm about to say something that would be heretical and under any other circumstances, alright? If your heart is fully unleashed to do what it was made to do, you don't need God to do that. You hear me? That's what they do. They unleash their heart to do what it is that they want to do, what they think is right. They unleash it. And yeah, it burns out. Yeah, it dies. It stops beating. It stops having the strength to go on because it's not filled up from the inside. But they become rich. They become rock stars. They become excel at their jobs. They intimidate everybody around them to do what they want. And say, I got my family in line. Right? I got all my stuff working. Nothing's breaking down. Nothing's going wrong because I got all this. All my strings are being tended and taken care of. Because they have unleashed their heart to do that. But that's not what God called us to. He wants us to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to that which you were called. It's yours, baby. Jesus paid for it and He handed it into your hand. Now it's yours. What are you going to do with it? Well, darn one thing. Hold on to it. Use it for what it was meant for. Faith that unleashes your heart. Very practically speaking, Jesus Speaking in Revelation 3, you want your heart to be pure, right? You want a pure heart so your sacrifice will be accepted by God. So your praise will be accepted by God. You want your heart to be pure. I can't make it pure. You can't make it pure. But here's some things to do to purify your heart. Number one, Revelation 3, really 19 through 21. And I'm going to go there and read it. We are in the conclusion now. So we're doing good on time and I'm not going to... Not going to spare the word of God. We're going to do it. Revelation 3, 19 through 21 says this. Wrong page. There we go. It says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. God will correct. He will fix it, right? And he says, Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Turn away from... Repent means turn away from everything else and turn to God alone. 
right? And then he says 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. You've heard this before, I hope. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him or sup with him or live with him, depending on your translation, and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You have followed the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you a couple things real quick. Number one, you want your heart pure? You want it cleaned up? Move in someone who can clean it up. You can't, but Jesus can. Once you understand something, Jesus has never lived for a long time in a messy place. He doesn't actually have to command it. He doesn't have to will it. He doesn't even have to think it. Just being there, the light of his existence will chase away the darkness of the enemy. Jesus just being in your heart will begin to make a change. And when the lion roars, the lion's roar will fix things instead of making them messed up, instead of making them out of control, instead of undermining what God is trying to do. Things will get fixed. Things will get adjusted. I live with my wife. She fixes my house. It, I, I basically ruin it and she fixes it. That's how we live, right? Now, she occasionally will come through and she'll say, will, will you fix this, this, and this? And I'll say, yep, I got that. And I go and I fix this, this, and she doesn't give me a honey-do list. I praise God for a wife that doesn't give me a honey-do list, okay? But she's constantly fixing what's wrong with my house. And then I'm fixing what's wrong with my house because she's pointing out to me what I could do and we fix it together and we're becoming one and unified and our house is constantly moving in the right... Is our house fixed? It's not fixed. It constantly needs fixed. It's an old house built 1940. Six and it's been falling apart consistently, but we've been consistently fixing it as it falls apart. And that's what Jesus does in your heart. If He is there, He will consistently fix where He is and, and what He does. And he does, it's not like He's picking up a hammer or a chisel. There's a great, uh, great um, skit, guys, that they do this thing where like, but God's chiseling off the stuff and He's in trials to take off the bad stuff from you. It's a great skit. But the truth is, Jesus doesn't need a hammer. He doesn't need a chisel. Just be there. Just actually showing up and things start to get fixed. If you're not saved, then it's probable that things aren't getting fixed in your heart. So then, what do you do? Open the door of your heart and let the fixer come in. And Jesus will start fixing. And He'll start cleaning things up. And you'll start making your heart pure so that your sacrifices and your praises are acceptable to God. A little more willful action. In Matthew 15, Jesus is speaking. He's teaching the disciples and the others who were around at that time. In Matthew 15, beginning in verse 18. 15, 18. We're reading an excerpt of a larger story, so study it, meditate on it on your own. <clears throat> I'm going to start back at verse 15, targeting 18 through 20, okay? It says this, it says, And Peter answered and said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you still lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth from the heart and those defile the man. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, slanders. Let's back up and just make sure we understand what those things are. So... Out of the heart comes evil thoughts. I think we can figure that out. If you're having evil thoughts, you understand there's a problem with your heart. Out of the heart comes murders. Now, that would include anger toward your brother. If you're having a problem with anger toward your brother, there's a problem with your heart. Adulteries. If adulteries are coming out of you, you're lusting after members of the opposite sex or whatever, then 
Or if you're not faithful to God, then that would be adulteries and that's bad. Okay? Something's wrong with your heart. Fornications. Fornications is misuse of sex in any way. If there's a misuse of sex in any way, then that's fornications. Problem with your heart. Thefts. You stole something. You take something that doesn't belong to you. That's thefts. That's a problem with your heart. False witnesses. You bear witness to something that isn't true. It's kind of like lies, but it's more than that. Right? Slanders. You say bad things about other people. That's definitely lies about other people in specific. And then 20 says, These are the things which defile the man but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. In other words, if your actions would be considered bad by God, then you can evidentiarily say that your heart is wrong, is not pure. It is not unleashed to do what God would have you to do. So if you're taking actions that are wrong, then your heart is wrong. Right? It's what comes out that is evidence that what's inside is bad. Out of your heart comes those things. They would not be coming out of you. You would not be doing them if your heart was right. Okay. Now, does that mean that when you repent and turn to the Lord and Jesus moves in, that it's automatically, boom, done, you'll never do anything like that again? No, you could be in the state of working, pursuing righteousness, right? That's what he said, pursue righteousness and godliness. So if you have this two-pronged problem, one, stuff's coming out of me that's bad, two, I'm not doing anything about fix about it, then guess what? You're not saved. That's the bottom line. Jesus is not in your heart. Your heart is not unleashed in the way that God is looking for if you would say, number one, stuff's coming out of me that has no place, and number two, I'm not doing anything about it. So very practically put, I'm going to say to you, do something about it. You know what you did that was wrong. Repent of it, turn it over to the Lord, and then make steps, take steps, train yourself, discipline yourself, eliminate the possibility, put that thing away, whatever it is, so that you will not do it again. And then, even if you are not righteous on the outside, you'll be pursuing righteousness from your heart. The last one's Philippians 4. Also a classic passage of Scripture. Philippians 4, beginning in verse 4. This is the last Scripture of the day. Philippians 4, verse 4. Some of you are going, oh, yeah, I know what that says, or approximately. Philippians 4, beginning in verse 4, says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. In other words, you've got everything to be excited about. Remember that? Hold on to your eternal salvation. You've got everything to be excited about. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. In other words, everyone should see the evidences of how you're controlling yourself and submitting it to the Lord. Yourself. You're submitting yourself to the Lord. He says, the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about it. Don't be stressed over it. Don't be frustrated. Don't be letting it get control of you. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, a hundred different sermons, at least, probably a thousand or maybe a million, have been preached out of this text about don't worry, don't be frustrated, whatever. But the reality is, if those things are present in your life, there's a problem with your heart. How do I know that? Because verse 7 says this, and it says, after it says... Uh, by prayer and supplication, let your request be, and thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. It says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I submit to you that almost everything that was mentioned in the verse, worry, anxiousness, thanksgiving even to a degree, all of those things are things you do with your brain. But doing those things with your brain in a godly way rejoicing in the Lord will lead to the peace of God 
protecting not only your mind, but also your heart. You want a heart like that? You want a beast powerful on fire, living in the light heart for God that will change everything around you? Here's how you do it. Focus on the good, the pure, rejoice, and do what's right. Pursue godliness. Even so simple as this, he says, finally, brethren, in other words, here is the sum of the matter. Here is the final thing that you need to understand. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, that means whatever everybody knows is right. If there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind... Notice, let your mind dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. You can control what your mind focuses on. And when you do, when you control what your mind focuses on, God will protect your heart. Yes, he'll set it on fire. Yes, he'll unleash it on an unsuspecting world that's walking in the dark. And you will become a light like Jesus, where everything you go is touched by the unmessy you. By the you that wants to change things for the better. By the you that wants to affect things. By the you that will cross the street to put your hand out to pick up a small child. By the you that will speak out against unrighteousness and at the same time say, there is a loving God who would have us to do better. By the you that will get up in the morning and put God's priorities first because you are pursuing godliness and righteousness. And your sacrifices and your praises will not be considered an abomination unto the Lord. Ask yourself, have I turned my heart over to Jesus? And if you haven't, do so right now. It would be unfair of me to say to you, you must submit all things in your life to God, except for one thing. And that is that God put you here today because God can see your heart. God knows what your heart is yearning for. God knows what the beast of your heart wants to fight against and wants to fight for. God wants to unleash your heart to safely, purposefully do the things that your heart yearns to do. With Jesus in your heart, you can do that. You can set aside all hindrances and fight the good fight. So it is fair for me to say you must submit all to Him because He knows, not because I know, but like Solomon, I can observe and I see that God will embrace, lift up and empower, add purpose, protection, and provision to a person who will put their heart on the line for Jesus. He's already paid the rent. In fact, he's already bought. And therefore, I can say to you, you must submit all. You must willingly decide to submit all, even the things you know nothing about. And then you pray, Lord, here I am. Take it all. I know that I have sinned and I need forgiveness and I know that I have a future and I want to walk that future out with you beginning now. 
Now, if you've done that, then it would be perfectly fair and reasonable for God and therefore for anybody who knows your profession and you've made that profession, many of you, before all witnesses, to say, then submit all to God as you said you would. God is now holding you to what you committed to do. You said, I will follow. You said, I will love. You said, I will serve. You said that because you could feel your heart yearning for that kind of a life. And you said, I want to unleash my heart. Don't hold it back. Live that kind of a life for God. It's not about money. Not about toys. Not about watching things that don't build you up. Not about experiencing things. It isn't. Some of the experiences that you will have unleashed for God will be quite unpleasant. And so if you are pursuing the pleasant, then you will be dragged kicking and screaming into the things that God has for you. But if you are pursuing righteousness and godliness, if you are pursuing Christ and your eternal salvation every day, unleashing your heart to change the world around you, you will be into and through and beyond those things of suffering before you even realize they're happening. Closing illustration. When I was a young Christian, relatively young Christian, I was working at Pizza Hut. Had a boss who was going through a trial and I didn't know what it was and know what was going on in his life. And One Friday night he came in and he caught a couple of my drivers not wearing their Pizza Hut jackets and not having their magnetic signs on top of their cars. And at the front counter of my pizza, there was no customers in the lobby, but all my employees were working in the building, and we were pretty slow, so there were more drivers. We had about, I had about 15, 20 employees in the building. He proceeded to cuss me out because I wasn't doing my job. Threatened to fire me, mind just in front of all my employees, and whatever. And then he stormed back to the office. The area office was located behind my pizza, and he stormed back there. And I'm thinking like, did I just lose my job? He didn't technically say I'm fired, whatever. And so I walked back there and I, he was standing at his desk and I said, I, I just got to ask you, what is going on? I don't understand. I, I really don't understand what's going on right now. He said, my numbers are good. You know, my, my store is doing well. It's probably number one store in the district and loyalty and stuff. Everything's great as far as that's concerned. Yes, I know they're supposed to wear the coats, but they don't want to wear the coats and everything else is great. So I'm kind of like, that's not the biggest issue right now, but you know, we, I, they're all wearing the coats now. They all got their signs on, whatever. I just don't understand. And he proceeded to cuss me out for about 10 more minutes about how disrespectful it was. And one of the things he said was, one of the things you don't realize is, I could do your job without you. I don't need you. I, ru- I ran a million dollar restaurant. I could run this restaurant and two or three others all in the same week. So I don't run any restaurants right now. So I run your restaurant until I get into What you don't understand is I could do your job without you. And uh, I was young, but I think the Spirit kind of touched me at that time, but I didn't know what was going on. And, but I said this, I said, I, I hear all that, I see all that, I understand all that, I understand you can fire me, you can take my job, you can do all that. I said, but the thing what I don't understand is why are you cussing me out? <laughs> and I said, well, I don't understand why you're behaving this way. And he stopped and he looked down at his desk and he had his face down for about 30 seconds. And as his face was down for about 30 seconds, it must have been a tear dropped from his eye because some water from an unexplained location dropped on the desk calendar on his desk and it went and spread out. When he looked up, he wasn't really crying, but he did a, few, a minute later or so, he wiped his face and he said, um, this is what I just found out. He said, one of your employees has been seeing my wife and they've been meeting at the bar two to three times a night or two to three times a week 
be, and she says nothing's happening between them, but he's he listens to her, and so she doesn't want to, She told me today that she's not going to stop seeing him, even though we're married. And when he said that, I thought, you know, <laughs> uh, that would that would literally rip my guts open too, you know. And I don't know that I would do what he did as a solution. I said, but it's terrible, and I I comforted him a little bit, and I encouraged him, and I said, if there's anything I can do about it, I will, and I, you know, I will talk to my employee, but I I have no say. That's personal time. There's nothing I can do about it, but I can talk to him, and I can explain to him I think it's wrong. I said, but I was really nothing. I said, but what I can do is I can pray for you. And I prayed for him in his office. He wasn't a Christian by his profession. I prayed for him, and then I walked out, and and it ended... And, and it all got quiet. I walked out back and I, and I had dough in the mixer and so I started making the dough. And it occurred to me at that moment after it was all over that I had been cussed out. That my heart had been attacked. That I had been belittled. That in front of all of my employees I had been made to look like a fool, a bad employee. But when it was happening, I missed it. Like I, was, I went through it. But I didn't realize it was happening, you know what I'm saying? So then I'm making the dough and he comes out to me and he says, uh, I, just, I just want to apologize. So what I did was wrong. So I'll make sure it doesn't happen again. And he went through the store and every employee was in the store. And as drivers, as they were coming off the road, he made sure and told them that what he did was wrong and that he would never do it again. And that I was, by his estimation, I wasn't. And he was overstating the matter because that I was the best manager in his district. That wasn't true, but that's what he said. If your heart is in the right place, you will ride through the, the crap, the stuff that you don't ever want to go through. You will ride through it, and you may get to the other side of it before you even ever realize you were in it. Later, years later, the spirit that maybe leapt in me, if that's what it was, or that feeling that I had, I thought about it, I prayed about it, I may have been meditating, I don't know. And I remembered when he made that comment, he says, the problem you don't understand, the reason you're not afraid right now is because you don't think I can do this job without you. Listen to me. This is the Holy Spirit, this is God. Whatever your heart is yearning to do for the Lord, God can do it without you. And if you're not afraid... Sometimes when you don't do what you're supposed to do, if you're not afraid that God may take that from you and give it to somebody else or just do it himself, you should be. Because the greatest experience that a person will ever have in this lifetime is living unleashed for God, doing what it is that God would have them to do. And there are a lot of other good experiences. There really are tons and tons of them. And they choke out the growth of people who who live that way. And you will eventually turn your back on what God has, and you will never in this lifetime have that experience. You only, there are only two ways. Either you get out of bed every morning pursuing what God has for you, or eventually you leave it behind. Your sacrifices and your praising, praises will become disgusting to God. You will no longer hear His rebukes, and so you'll be more comfortable in the way you're living. But you'll miss the great thing that He has for you. Repent today. Turn to the Lord alone. Submit all that you are, all that you have, and all that you ever will have to the Lord Jesus Christ and pursue righteousness and godliness with the gentleness thrown in nonstop until he takes us home. Roar. Roar. Let your heart change your world. 
because it yearns to. We're going to have a song of invitation at this time. God knows your heart. He knows what's going on in you right now. Have you repented? Have you had to from something? Have you submitted to a course of action? Have you, have you said while you're here today, I'm not really saved, I need to be? And you turn that over to God. And you say, call out to you, so you come in. And you start to make things clean and strong. Whatever it is, and after you show the invitation, you can respond. You sing today. You can make public your decision to be proud of what God has done in you today. So, the crazy thing is going to come and lead us at this time. Let's see how that goes. You sing? Are you sing? We're singing. All right. Let's see. All right. You stand wherever you are, and you give it over to the Lord. He is our God. He is mighty. Your heart is mighty, and they are a perfect match. Let's do it. I believe in the truth that you reveal. I know 
He's coming again. And I want to be found worthy when he comes. I hope that all of us feel that way. I hope that all of us feel that way. And I know that our, the word of Jesus is spreading out from our church to people all over the city of Toledo and all over the region. And then the people in states far away and maybe other countries, I don't even know, listening in. And I pray that they will hear the heart of this people. You will never be small if you allow God to come into your heart. You will always be mighty. And when great champions of the enemy try to stand up against you, you will take them down. Not because you are mighty, but because he is in you as great as he is in the world. We're going to close in prayer at this time, and I pray uh, that we will walk out here and walk with Jesus through whatever comes next. Mass out, Lord Jason Long. Great voice, Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this word. Thank you for the uh, compassion that comes from this pastor. Thank you for every single soul in this room, Father. Thank you for your spirit of unity that we can all dwell in the same heart and mind that you allow to be prepared in us through your Son. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are, Lord, in each one of our lives. Uh, Lord, I just ask that you would pour your spirit out into us even more. You said that good fathers know how to give gifts to their children, and how much more will you give us your spirit when we ask you for it. And I ask you for a great amount of, amount of your pour, outpouring of your Holy Spirit in each one of our souls here, Lord, uh, that we would grow, when we're alone, Lord, we would grow closer to you, and you would draw closer to us and give us deeper understanding, wisdom, knowledge of your word and who you are and show us your characteristics. Protect us, protect our children, deliver them from any harm. Send out your police over this uh, nation, Lord, and gather together all those who would harm our little ones or try to hurt people and let them be put in prison and be disciplined, Lord. But also let us be disciplined as well as you see fit. Help us to be humble and accept that discipline as well. Thank you again for today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you so much. Go be there for and be the church. This has been New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo from July 18th, 2021. You're listening to our podcast in which we attempt to podcast pretty much the entire service with only minor excerpts depending on technology and sound every week. And we appreciate Podcast Garden for their willingness to both host us and feature us. And we pray for them on a regular basis that they will prosper and do well. Also, just like to tell you that there's a lot of information about the ministry, not just New Heights, but Life Station, Fog and Moon Books, Firestorm Church Planting Network, Northwest Ohio Baptist Association, churches in the Toledo area, food pantry delivery, etc., uh, etc., et on our website at churchtoledo.com or lifestationtoledo.com. If you'd like to give, you can give on the website or you can text GIVE to 419-419-0095. If you'd like to specifically give to the Life Station, you can text L-S-G-I-V-E. That's the letter L, the letter S, the letter G, the letter I, the letter V, the letter E. L-S-Give to 419-419-0095, just the same. If you'd like to partner with us, you can text the word PARTNER to that same phone number. 
more and valuable and interesting things that you can do with that phone number are listed on our website at churchtoledo.com. If you'd like to come to church, we meet on Sundays at 11.30, and it is the church meeting to worship God, reaching new heights in Jesus. If you're interested in the theme of the church, it's all about the next step in Jesus. If you are a Christian, God has a certain next step for you. He's, he's moving you along a certain pathway to honor him. Uh, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and that word way there means ha is hados, which means road or path. And you're on the path of Jesus if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you're moving on to the next step. And while each person is at a different place, and his next step may be a different step, we can work together to help each other reach the next step. God bless you today. Uh, please do like and follow the podcast and listen to other episodes and tell your friends, send links, do all the good stuff that people do when they approve of something that that's on the internet or social media. And we would love to have you as a follower. We'd love to have you as a promoter. And we'd love to have you, most important of all, reaching new heights in Jesus. God bless.